there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or 10 minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career triple shot K-Cup with my guest, Dove Barron. So before we get into, I suppose, more of the how our listeners can find their purpose in life, I think it would be useful for them to hear more about your life, Dove. And I'm wondering if you would be kind enough to share a few of the seminal experiences that you've had over the course of your 60 years, the ones that were incredibly painful and how they helped lead you to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right. I mean, there are so many. And again, this lack of objectivity, I don't think we really truly recognize the most powerful ones until we have that place of where we can look in the rearview mirror and see the impact. There was an experience that happened in my early life when I was seven that I did not, I mean, I, I knew, but I couldn't remember the details of until I was actually in therapy in my mid 30s. So, you know, I started at 19. I'd been doing it for a while by then. And I came down the stairs as a seven year old boy in this grotty little house that we lived in and we came i came down the stairs and as i came down the stairs the stairs led into the hallway that were to the front door and as i came down i could see the front door was open and there was light coming into a dark hallway and at the moving towards that light was this silhouette of a man and as i came down the stairs this little boy of seven i realized that that was my dad and he was carrying something and i said dad dad where are you going And my father turned around, walked back to me, crouched down to be as close to eye level as he could, put a fake smile on his face. He touched me on one shoulder and then on the other shoulder and then ruffled my hair as if to knight me and said, I'm going now. You're the man of the house. And in that very moment, he stole my childhood. No seven-year-old is a man of the house. In that moment, I took on the responsibility of taking care of my mother and my siblings who were younger than me, that I was now responsible for keeping my mother happy, who was in a very deep, dark depression, and in all likelihood, probably bipolar. I was responsible for the taking care of my siblings when my mother couldn't cope. And there was no room for my feelings. That was the message. And I took it very much to heart. That moment was transformative because I knew in that moment that I was inadequate for the job. But that inadequacy drove me. And in many ways, I'm grateful for that now, not at the time, now. So when, by the way, when somebody says to you, oh, this will turn out to be uh, the greatest gift of your life, punch them in the nose. There's no compassion in that. It's true, but it's not true at the time. So please understand that. Have compassion. If you see somebody going through that, going through something painful and you go on and say, oh, this will be a blessing. I hope they punch you in the nose because it's not a blessing at the time. It's painful. But it might be if they're willing to look at it. 
And so what I realized now is that inadequacy became a gift because it drove me to be adequate. It drove me to find out how to be better. The dark side of it, because I had a light side which drove me to be better, and the dark side of it was I never felt better about anything. I always felt like I had to be more and more. And that's why I probably did all those things I told you about, why I studied all those things, because I was trying to prove myself to myself. That's probably the truth of it. So that was a transformational moment in my life that got buried, but drove me for years and years. And I became, you know, aside from all the things I told you about, I became a very successful entrepreneur. I was very respected. By the time 1990 came along, I'd lived on three separate continents. I ran businesses in three separate continents. I studied all the things I told you about. And I was a very successful speaker. And I came back from a speaking tour. And on that speaking tour, I, my manager said, you're exhausted. You're going to take a few days off. And I went, took four days off and went to a place called Whistler in British Columbia, Canada, which if you are familiar with Winter Olympics, it's where the 2010 Winter Olympics were held. And it was June, it was beautiful, it was sunny, and a friend of mine and I decided to go for a hike, and we did, and we went to a place called Brandywine Falls, which is this 200-foot waterfall. It's magnificent. It's this glacial water that comes winding and twisting down the glacial river, and is magnificent until it plunges off the cliff for 200 feet, and it's spectacular. When you look at it from the view above, and it's amazing. But I was an adrenaline junkie. Again, another part of that part of me that was always trying to prove myself. I was an adrenaline junkie. I was always doing crazy stuff. And so I said to my mate, let's see if we can get down. So we took this weird hike and found our way down and we got down to the bottom and I challenged my buddy to see if we could go behind the waterfall. Do not do this. It is stupid. But we did it across wet, mossy rocks. We got behind the waterfall fighting a 70 mile an hour wind that comes off the waterfalls. And just behind the waterfall, there's a small gap and you can slide behind it where it's massive amount of neg- what are called negative ions, which positively charges the body, the human body, the human nervous system. So when I came out on the other side, I felt indestructible. And I said to my buddy, let's not hike back. And he's like, well, what are we going to do? Take the elevator? And he's laughing. And I'm like, no, let's climb. Climb, climb what? Let's climb the rock face. Now, if you don't know if you know anything about rock climbing, but you, you might know that rock climbing involves ropes and, and all the right gear. And free climbing means you're climbing without those things, but you have chalk and you have the right shoes and the right clothing, etc. And we had none of those things. We were soaking wet, free climbing a cliff. And at about 120 feet, which is the equivalent of 12 stories, I reached for a rock that dislodged a bigger rock that hit me in the face and bam, sent me hurtling down onto the boulders below. Not gravel, not grass, but boulders where I was smashed to absolute pieces. I can't tell you the gory details because that will take too long, but needless to say, I died. And yet, I managed to get out of there and actually died five times during that short period of time within the next week while they rebuilt me and I've had 10 reconstructive surgeries. And when people say, oh, that must, that must have been the moment that changed your life, I want you to know it was not. It was the moment that more deeply embedded me in my ego. Because when people would say to me, how are you doing? And my jaw was wired closed. I'd say, I'm great. I'm coming back. But in life, there is no back. But I believed there was. I'll tell you how I believed it. That happened in June. In November of that same year, with my jaw still wired closed, I went bungee jumping in the Nanaimo River from 140 feet. That's how embedded I was in my ego improving that I was adequate, improving that I was indestructible. And it wasn't until in secret, I was sad and I was depressed and I felt terrible, but I would never let anybody know. Remember, I was a ghetto kid. I was a leader. I'd been a boxer. I'd been a martial artist. Nobody was seeing my weakness. 
And then I would go out with my mates and I'd have a good night out, but I, I never felt like I could laugh. And I was like, oh my God, my life, my joy is gone. I'm never going to get it back. And one night I went out with the lads and I had this great night out and I laughed and I came home and I was feeling like so good, feeling like, okay, you know, I found my humor. I'm going to come back. This is going to be good. And as I walked in the door and I opened the back door, the light shone in from outside across the kitchen floor. And across that floor was festooned garbage. There was kitty litter. There were empty cans, meat wrappers, coffee grinds. It smelled disgusting. It was terrible. And I went from joyous to furious to rageful and went stomping around the house to look for the culprit. I knew exactly who had done this. I went looking for the culprit. When I got into the living room, there was the culprit curled up and looking so relaxed on the couch. And I lifted my hand to strike, but that's not who I am. And halfway down, stopped myself. And instead of hissing my cat, I put my hands underneath and picked him up and realized he was cold. And I fell to my knees and began to weep. Not cry, but sob. And within a few minutes, I realized, why am I crying for this cat that I didn't even like? It wasn't even my cat. And I realized I wasn't crying for the cat. I was crying because my life as I knew it was gone. You see, it was that moment of coming just before coming in the door, feeling like, oh, it can all go back to normal now. And then it can't. You see, your life is not changed in that pivotal moment when the disaster happens. It is changed in the moment when everything can go back to normal and you make a different choice. And in that moment, on the floor, in a fetal position, totally depressed, weeping, I said, I can't go on like this. There is no back. I've discovered that. I can stay here, and that was seductive. I can stay here as a victim and say, you know, the line from on the waterfront, I could have been a champ, but, you know, it wasn't my fault. And be a victim and have this great victim story I can cling to for the rest of my life, or I can find my purpose, find out why I'm really here on the planet. That was the transformational moment. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.